Welcome back to the Baddie Girls Book Club podcast channel. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Danielle. And we are two chatty baddies who love to talk about books and provide digestible plot overviews of our and hopefully your favorite books. We do strive to be spoiler free as we work through each episode and we'll have bonus episodes throughout the series where we talk theories, spoilers, and our favorite and not so favorite characters. So for today, we are going to cover the third and the fourth book of the Akatar series, A Court of Wings and Ruin, and the cute little novella, A Court of Frost and Starlight. To get us started, let's recap where book two left off. Farah went to the spring court with Tamlin because of the broken bond with Highburn. When Highburn said, I'm breaking your bond between you and Reese, you're no longer going to be mates. And then Farah played that whole... Tamlin, oh my goodness, they had me under this glamour and were messing with my mind this whole time. And she played it off well, honestly. I was like, whoa, you go, girl. Things fall on her feet. We know that. Elena Nessa became immortal. And Farrah and Reese, we find out, actually went to the priestess the night before going to Highburn. And she is now the High Lady of the Night Court. Lots has happened. We now also know that Lucian and Elaine are mates. Whether Elaine wants to own up to that or not, Lucia knows it. Elaine, maybe not so much. And we're left with the hint that he knows that Farrah is lying to Tamlin. He is suspicious. He's like, there is no way this girl has been tricked this whole time. And all of a sudden, she wants to come back to the spring court and live happily ever after with Tamlin. But Farrah has some power over Lucian because she knows that Lucian wants to see his mate Elaine and basically, Farrah has the power to help him with that as her sister or to keep him away from her. So Farrah is basically a spy in the spring court, and that's where Akawar is going to kick off. Okay, so in the prologue, we get a little glimpse from Reese's perspective before the wall was built. This is the wall that separates the mortal lands and the fairy lands. So at this point in time, there is a war between the loyalists, which are the fairy kingdoms who fought to keep their mortal slaves, and then the fae and mortals who want there to be peace in the lands. And so Reese is checking on the field where the corpses are to make sure that Cassian and Asriel isn't among the fallen. And we get this like feeling of just dread and sadness and sorrow and everything he's been through in this war. And imagine like having to pick through all of these corpses that people who were killed fae that were killed mortals that were killed that's sad enough but to be hoping that you don't see a face that you recognize in that like I just really felt for Reese so back to present day as we said fair is at the spring court she's painting once again whether she's good or not at it we're still not sure but she loves it and we love it for her she tells us that all she sees with the people she's around Tamlin Lucian all she sees is her sister Elaine and her sister Nessa being forced into the cauldron, forced to be Faye. And these are the people who are responsible for that. They sold her out. They sold her sisters out. Ianthe sold them all out. Ianthe is the worst offender of them all. We know that. We don't like her. <laughs> but that's what Pharisee. So she's trying to hide this like rage that is growing inside of her and pretend that she actually wants to be here. We also get a reminder that she has a tattoo 
now on her right arm. And that tattoo is symbolizing the bond that she has with Reese that she made when she became High Lady of the Night Court. So she has to glamour that. She doesn't want them seeing it. They think they broke all of their bonds and they're no longer mates. But they clearly are. Thank goodness. We're happy about that. And Ianthe apologizes to Farrah for giving her sisters up to the King of Highburn and saying that she thought she was acting in Farrah's best interest. She was like, hey, girl, I know you're an immortal now, and I thought maybe you wanted to spend this time with your immortal sister, so I just forced them to become immortals. You're welcome. And Farrah's like, no, that's not what I wanted. I would never have wanted that for my sisters. Also, Tamlin reveals that the deal with Highburn was that he would help Highburn by letting them use his land because he's so close to that immortal and mortal border and that his people would remain unharmed. Oh, yeah. By the way, Jurian will be here at noon. <laughs> A lot is <laughs> happening. This is like Fast and Furious starting off this book. So when Jurian arrives, he has two Highburn commanders with him. Prince Dagden and Princess Branna are the niece and nephew of King of Highburn. Now, these two are sus, trying to slip into Farrah's mind the whole nine, and their plan is to scope out the perfect spot to tear through the wall, but they can't do that until the cauldron has gotten its strength back. It was drained of its strength after the whole escapade at the end of Mist and Fury when Every single person was basically attacked near the cauldron. Shoved, shoved into the tubby. <laughs> and let's not yes. forget, Nesta did not go down without a fight, okay? She definitely took something with her. <laughs> shoved into the tubby. Bath time. <laughs> Scrub it up, tub. Scrub it up. It's time for the cauldron tub. <laughs> we're not minimizing the trauma they went through that's actually really traumatic and i'm pissed at everything that happened in that okay (laughs) disclaimer so fair's first task while she's back at the spring court is to figure out where they plan to strike and when the cauldron would be back at its max capacity so that she can deliver the message back to reese now farah is not communicating down the bond with reese frequently because apparently them communicating back and forth it keeps the scent of the bond strong so high scent means that their bond is more detectable and people are like gonna sniff out the the bs that she's doing in the spring court Lucian tells us that when Callan May came, Farrah's gone, she's at the night court, but Lucian tells us that Tamlin refused to do his great right. You all know how much we love the great right. <laughs> but Lucian replaced him in the right, and him and Ianthe, they got it on, but it did not seem like Lucian really wanted it to go this way. You all know we have thoughts on this. One, Am I supposed to feel happy that Tamlin didn't participate, but that, no, it's okay. Lucian did it. I hate everything about this. Like, I hate Lucian, why did you volunteer as tribute? Just refuse. Like, just refuse. Just refuse. And Tamlin, we are not proud of you regardless, because we saw what you did at the last great ride. Okay. We saw what you did, bud. (laughs) But also, like, wasn't the whole purpose please correct me if I'm wrong. And I don't want to go down a whole great, yeah. great rabbit hole right now, but wasn't the whole purpose in book one, like didn't have to be Tamlin. It was just like magic has to be generated yes. and all the high Lords participate. So like, Oh, now in this book. So did Tamlin have an option to participate? <laughs> did he have one? an option? 
No, because why, why, if he could just pass it up in this book, but in book yes. one, when he's kind of feeling fairy, he's like, oh, but I have to, it's the magic for the lands. Like, <laughs> yeah. Why couldn't it have just been any high fae? I took it as like the high lords did it because they are like the most powerful. And so they could regenerate the most magic for the lands, the sake of the lands. But clearly that ain't the case because Lucian was an acceptable second. <laughs> But clearly not, because we know the spring court goes yes. downhill shortly after this. <laughs> it does. <laughs> oh my goodness. That actually okay. explains a lot. That explains a lot. It does. It, does. it actually does. So, Farah is woken up to a nightmare and decides to go to Lucian's room and tells him it's about, you know, the memories she has under the mountain. And she just really leans on him, like literally leans on him in this moment. And you would think, oh, why isn't she going to Tam Tam's room? Like, why isn't she seeking out his comfort? That's because our girl has a plan. She literally latches onto Lucian and starts crying, but it's fake tears. And then Tamlin comes to check on them and he is like, excuse me, what's happening here? He feels like he just, you know, saw them going at it or something. They were just hugging. So simmer down. And he is jealous. And this was all a part of Farrah's plan. So she knew that Tamlin would come looking for her, which is why she went into Lucian's room. And she is all about turning his court against him. Like she is trying to blow it up from the inside. And I love it so much. I love everything about it. So the next day, the crew gets ready to go back to the wall and continue their research on where's the best spot for Hybern to come through, where are the holes, yada, yada. And they arrive at their campsite by the wall for the night and Lucian and Fair chat a bit about how this spring court can't just break this deal with Hybern. They can't just say, actually, we don't want to work with you anymore because obviously there would be retaliation for that. While they're having this conversation, they look over and notice that there are three children of the blessed standing at the wall. Bum, bum, bum. So Farrah tells the children of the blessed that they're basically dead if they try to cross the wall, aka Branagh and Dagden are going to try to kill them. Now Farrah trying to help these mortals, she goes into their minds of the children of the blessed and convinces them to leave. But sadly, in the middle of the night, Dagden and Branagh went after the three and they killed them anyway. Farrah is so upset by this, and she's trying to get revenge on the two, so she sends the bog after them. By the way, I know we've pronounced that word in different <laughs> ways. <laughs> we don't know. We're doing our best. I'm going <laughs> to stick with bog for now. It feels right. but Listen, we're human. We're not high fae, so expect less of us. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're not. <laughs> After that, we're back at the house. We're back at the Spring Court Manor. It's Hamlin. Of course, he's fuming because God forbid Farrah should do anything with any type of authority because these are our allies, yada, yada, yada. And Farrah and Tamlin, they have some strong words with each other. And Farrah kind of eggs him on to get him going to lose his temper a little bit. And of course, he delivers. We know he's a guy of many tantrums. And he, <laughs> he does just that. He loses control. The room gets turned upside down down Farah ends up injured Lucian has to carry her out Tamlin's a loser so we have Braun and Hart which are two sentries that were present for this and they're upset 
that the fact that their high lord could do this to Pharaoh and to the room and to everyone else who had to witness that. But this was just another one of Pharaoh's ploys to tear apart the spring court under the radar. So unfortunately, she did kind of have to take the grunt of this, but it was very intentional. So our girl is injured, but she's intentionally injured. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So after Tamlin's little temper tantrum, tantrum Tamlin, (laughs) they end up going back to the wall again. This time Tamlin goes with them because Ianthe, she plants a little seed in his head like, oh, you sure you want Lucian and Fair to spend the night together out in the woods? And after everything that happened in Lucian's bedroom where Tamlin like walked in and saw them embracing, Tamlin said, you know what? I'm going to go with you. So this part's a little redundant. It's like, okay, back to the wall we go, setting up camp, yada, yada. And this is the point where Fair is like, okay. I'm going to get gone. This is my chance to leave. I'm going back to the night court. And when I say she has what she needs, when she is at this camp, she talks to Bran and Dag. That's their name now because I can't pronounce it. They just start dropping information about how, oh, how many ranks they have and how many allies they have. And this is where Fair reaches a point of saying, okay, I got what I needed. I'm going to get gone. I'm going before I don't have the opportunity to go. So she sneaks out of camp, runs into the woods, but not before planting into the mind of one of the sentries that she fled for her life after being nearly killed by Bran and Dag, which I love. She's smart. She's covering her bases, covering her tracks, if you will. She begins her journey and no more than like two minutes into it, she finds Lucian and Ianthe in the woods. Except this isn't like a good encounter. Ianthe has him bound and powerless to a tree. Ew. Ew, ew, ew. We, if, we, if we did not hate Ianthe before, we surely hate her now because we love Lucian. And how dare you do this to him? Especially after everything about the Great Right. We know they were together. Yeah, we just hate this. Farah uses her powers to get into Ianthe's mind. And she forces her to let go of Lucian, unshackle him. And then one of my like favorite but kind of, you know, uh grotesque I guess parts of the book but I actually really loved it she makes Ianthe smash her own hand with a rock to remind her that every time she looks down that she will not touch anyone ever again without their consent I (laughs) I freaking love this part so much it was like the visual was a little hard to think about but yep she deserved it and I love that so of course it's not as easy as just that and getting away because now Bran and Dag show up they know Fair was playing this this whole time they're smarter than that they are from Highburn. they've probably lived a lot longer than Fair has ever lived so they were on to her they even snuck Fabian into an apple she was eating to mute her powers more so this is the point in time where she realizes "Uh oh <laughs> my powers are draining Brandon and Dag realize I'm here and I'm trying to get away like she's got basically her backpack on <laughs> she's trying to get out of here there's no way of hiding like what she's doing she's caught she's been got and they're ready to fight so fair's like okay it's time to fight. So Lucian tells her to go, not to worry about him, but Farah doesn't. Has Farah ever left somebody in need? No. So I don't know why Lucian thought now is going to be the time, but she still has some power left. So she starts winnowing and striking Dag left and right. Everywhere he is, she's in front of him. Love that part. Pow, pow. Farah wins. Lucian beheads Bran, which we love. Thank you for the help. 
And then that's when the Apple and the Fabian really start kicking in and they realize um, we're not going to be able to win out of here. And Lucian's like, hey, Farah, are you going back to the night court? And if so, like for the love of the cauldron, will you please bring me with you? Which surprised me. I don't know why that was like a de- his decision. But I kind of love that he was like, get me out of here. Spring court ain't it right now. Take me with you. And Farah's like, okay. I'll take you with me, but don't freaking make me regret this. (laughs) And away they go. So since their powers are gone from the poison, they can't just poof away. It's not as easy as that. So they have to walk and they decide they're going to hide in a cave in the autumn court, which is not ideal because if we remember, Lucian's crazy brothers and horrible father live there. But they just need to lie low until the Fabian wears off and they can winnow again. When Farrah and Lucian wake up the next day, they start moving north despite knowing that this is Lucian's father's territory, the Autumn Court, and it probably won't end well. It doesn't. They're trekking along. Everything seems good until guess who shows up? Lucian's brothers. They end up finding them. Hey, Lucian, (laughs) Papa wants to see ya. And oh yeah, can you bring Farrah with you too? So this is where we're introduced to one of Lucian's brothers, Eris, who this is the male who abandoned more that we learned very briefly about in Mist and Fury. Lucky for Farrah and Lucian, their powers are back and together they use their powers to bring down the cave ceiling, not to kill the brothers, but to slow them down a bit. They're able to run out of there and just keep heading north as fast as they can, which includes crossing a frozen lake. But of course, Lucian's brothers are able to catch up to them and they start melting the ice that Farah and Lucian are on, which Farah tries to counter using her winter powers to solidify the ice while they're melting it. So it's kind of this back and forth. Eris is not backing down. Eris has got Farah by the hair. He's dragging her to shore. Oof. And then, boom, a shadow slams into the earth. It's a shadow. It's an Illyrian warrior. <laughs> Maybe it's Maybelline. It's Cassian. And then there's another slam and it's Asriel. And Farrah's able to free herself. Cassian and Eris are now scrapping. Lucian and Asriel and Lucian's two other brothers are duking it out. And Farrah's like, guys, you need to chill. She orders them all to stop and... Just like, you guys go your way, we're going our way, and Cassian's able to take them all out of the situation, get them all home. So that was a battle scene. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me how you felt when you realized the first time reading this that the big slam down in the ground that she felt was Cassian. Oh, adore Adore. it was like warm cozy feeling of just like her brothers are here like that's how I felt was like her big brothers have come to save her I love it so much and I think I remember her like kind of basically they're realizing like we're not going to win this fight or Eris and Lucian's brothers are like clearly we're not going to win but they're still duking it out and I think that's when Fair realized okay like nothing's good is going to come of killing all of Autumn Court's future potential heirs like that's just not nothing good's gonna come of that so she very much showing her high lady you know very court-esque behavior that's when she's like okay let's go let's go home let's not yeah and that's enough we're trying to get allies for the upcoming war not create yes finally we are back at the night court i'm so happy not knowing the whole beginning of the book like okay when is she going to make it home? Is she going to make it home? I can't imagine how relieved she felt in her little world. 
And also Elena Nesser here. Have we forgotten about them? Yes, her Haifei sisters. Farah gets up to the House of Wind. She sees Nesta first in the family library and realizes, dang, she is gorgeous. Like, her sisters have always been noted as, like, beautiful, pretty. You know, Nessa has a RBF face. We know that. But she notes that Nessa is devastatingly gorgeous as Haifei. And then we are sensing some tension between Cassian and Nesta just through their little, like, banter bickering. And we're kind of loving this, but we also realize it might be one-sided because I think for Nessa, it's not really flirty banter. I think she's telling him to F off. And I think Cassian's like, oh, you like me. <laughs> and so Nessa is still her snippy, seething self. She's not feeling gratitude for her life, for her being high fae, for being immortal. She's pissed. This isn't what she wanted. And I think even more so, this isn't what she wanted for Elaine because we know she's really protective of her. And we find out that, like, Elena is not doing hot at all. Like, she is in a deep, deep, dark place. She won't eat. She won't drink. She won't sleep. So Elaine is not doing great. And because of that, Ness is also not doing great. And they're just, we're not having a good time at the house of wind, okay? So Farrah decides, you know what? Today's probably not the day to introduce Elaine to Lucian. So, Lucian, you have to wait. Elaine hopefully will come around and want to see you at some point. But what's everybody else been up to? What's their plan for war? What's going on? What's the tea? Reese reveals to Farah that he has actually gone to Highburn and that those people are hungry for change. I remember Farah being mad at this, which, like, fair. She's like, you went to Highburn by yourself. But we know Reese. He, as well as Farah, is very much a self-sacrificer if it means nobody else potentially gets hurt that he loves. So yeah, Reese went to Highburn. He came back. Everything's fine for now. Our pals in the night court have been working to plant information in other territories, playing them against each other. They're doing similar things to kind of how Farah was doing in the spring court, but they're really trying to get allies here who really want to fight against Highburn with them. We also learn from more that something might be wrong with the cauldron if they need to use these existing holes in the wall that they were going to explore while they were in the spring court. She's like, okay, if the cauldron is so powerful, like why do we need to find these holes in the wall? And she realizes that Farah might be the one to repair it because she's made. She's also has the powers of all seven high lords. And also her sisters could be a potential solution for this too. They want to repair these holes in the wall so that Highburn can't just slip right in. And Farah's like, absolutely not. My sisters will not be a part of this. I'm shutting it down. So the crew heads over to the Court of Nightmares to ask for help because they have a big army and quite frankly, the Night Court needs as many allies as possible. Nesta surprisingly does agree to go with them. So to find out more about how to close the wall, Reese brings Farah to the library and this is where we meet the priestess Clotho and the two go with her to find some good tea on the wall. We actually learn that Clotho can't speak because she was brutally attacked by males before being brought to Valeris. And this library, it's a safe haven for her, as well as others who've survived similar traumas. Farah and Reese talk about the options that are in front of them to win the war. And Farah suggests, hey, let's recruit the Bone Carver as a weapon because the Bone Carver is able to kill hundreds of soldiers with one breath. And before we can even blink, Cassie and Farah and Reese winnow to the prison. 
Now, the bone carver, as per usual, is a joy to chat with. And in their conversations, the bone carver says that Nesta took something when she was in the cauldron. When they return, Farrah tells her court that she thinks that Nesta has the power of death. And that's why the carver knew about her. Kind of like the cereal just dropping tea left and right. The bone carver decides that it will help them if they bring the Ouroboros mirror, also known as the mirror of beginnings and endings, back to the bone carver. The, this mirror shows the looker what they truly are when they see their reflection in the mirror. Apparently, the person who possesses this mirror is Kier, our guy in the Court of Nightmares. Of course he has this. Of course. Okay, so it's finally time for the group to travel to the Hewn City. And Reese, once they get there, invites Ferret to sit on the throne while Reese sits on the arm of it. Everyone around them is shocked. The Court of Nightmares is like, what? What? This man who comes in, this high lord who's always like so aggressive and just very self-assured, he's going to sit on the arm of the throne while a lady sits on the actual throne itself. They're completely shocked. And he makes everyone bow for her i'm pretty sure this is where he tells everybody like you'll bow to your high lady and they're like high lady they're as shocked as tamlin would be to know that a high lady could exist so they all decide okay let's talk war we have to you know go chat so they all go to a room with kier to talk about the war their plans and kier is like you know what i'm a little sympathetic to hyber and tbh of course you are kier like read the room we're not (laughs) So get on board. Reese and Kier have a few choice words about this and each other. And Reese instructs them to bring him in. So somebody is coming into the room. We don't know who until Eris walks in. This was a big deal because Moore is with them. And Moore had no idea that Eris was going to be a part of this meeting. Now, let's not forget that this is the person who abandoned Moore The person Moore was betrothed to, despite the fact that we hate her family for what they did to her, like dumping her on Eris's land. We hate Eris as well for how he left her to basically die. So this we're not having a good time. Moore's not happy about this. Reese offers Kier an alliance with the Autumn Court, hence why Eris is there, in exchange for services in the war. Kier says, well, I don't really want that. I don't care about Eris or the Autumn Court. He wants freedom. He wants his people to be able to go to Valeris. And he wants his people to get the heck out from under the mountain. They basically have been living in a mountain in the dark for how many years? Reese agrees, but sets some limitations. Like, we get to decide when, who, what, where, when. And I just remember reading this and my heart breaking for more. I could completely understand why she would be so upset by this she feels absolutely betrayed and her dad knows this Kira, and that's why he wants it. Farah asks for the Ouroboros mirror and Kira's like uh sure if you can claim it it's yours but good luck because literally everybody else who has tried has gone mad and then he leaves the room okay Eris it's your turn what's Eris's price oh He wants us to support his bid for the throne. He's talking about now. Like, he's trying to take over. That was a meeting that was very unexpected. Tensions are high. Moore is pissed. Asriel's pissed. Like, everybody is PO'd at each other. Everyone's mad at Reese. Rightfully so in this case. Although we still love you, Reese. Don't worry. (laughs) 
And now they head back to the townhome in Valeris. Amber discovers that Cassian and Farrah went to the prison to talk to the bone carver. And Reese asks Amron for help with getting the bone carver to be able to escape the prison. He asks her this because we know that Amron used to be in the prison and she's like the only person we know of who's been able to get out. But she's not happy. She doesn't want to talk about the prison or the people in it or how she got out of it. She's not down for this plan right now. And she's not happy that they didn't tell her about it as well. But she does say that to get the bone carver to escape, you will have to bind it to a body and make it fey, which sounds confusing because you're like, what do you mean? Like, it's already immortal. But what these creatures are, what Amron was with the bone carver is, they're like completely otherworldly. They're not just your typical immortal high fey. Basically, to them, the high fey is like what humans would be to high fey. Like, they... They are a whole other level. And so what Amber did is she binded her body to a fey body and that's how she got out. That's why she looks the way she does. That's why she blends in. But also that's why she's not the same as everybody else. Okay, next up, everybody thinks that Elaine is absolutely losing her marbles (laughs) because she keeps making these like wild exclamations such as, I hear her crying. Everyone thinks she's dead, but she's not. Only different change. And then she also says, I saw young hands wither with age. I saw a box of black stone. I saw a feather of fire land on snow and melt it. If my sister just started rambling nonsense like this, I would be genuinely concerned. Like genuinely worried. Someone get the healer in. That's exactly what they do. They call on Maja, who is like the healer of the night court, the best of the best. And they say, sis, can you come by and check on Elaine? She ain't well. Maja comes by the next day, does all of her little, you know, healer moves on Elaine and tells them there's nothing wrong with her. She also does mention, though, that she was not able to actually get into Elaine's mind. It was just like a wall. And I think that's because she was made. So she can't just like "Mm, tap into that. But nobody knows what's wrong with her. Everyone says she's fine. She's clearly not. And despite all of this, she continues with her little spooky tangents. And now she's saying twin ravens are coming. One white and one black. Dot, dot, dot. This is so ominous. Spooky, spooky vibes. It's almost like Elaine is foreshadowing. Woo! (laughs) We love a good foreshadow. Our group is overdue for a few days of normalcy, which they get. I don't know if Elaine just maybe she went into a deep slumber, but she (laughs) she gives them a couple days of some good peace and quiet. So Azriel and Farah continue working on her flying skills, which isn't going great. Farah's not a, an A plus flyer yet, but they're forming a solid friendship. At least they've got that going for them. In one of their sessions that they're training together, Azriel ends up telling Farah the story about Nafel, a fae who was rejected from the Legion fighting ranks due to her wings being too small and they were malformed. Now, during the last war, everyone believed that Miriam and Dracon's people had died, but in fact, Miriam led them through the desert into the shores of the sea, and Miriam had stayed to make sure that everyone got through, and she, at that point, was speared by the queen, but Nafel, who had already gotten through the sea passage, had returned for Miriam. 
Miriam told Nafel to save herself, but Nafel chose to save Miriam, and her small wings ended up serving her as an advantage, making her able to pass through these really narrow passageways, basically defying the odds and teaching us that our greatest weakness can be our greatest strength. Now, I feel like this story is seems a little bit random for Azrael to be sharing this with Farah out of nowhere, but the story about Nafel and Miriam, I think it serves a really big purpose here. I think the group calls this um, like the Nafel philosophy or something like that. And it relates to that, like you, your greatest weakness is your greatest strength, like I was saying before. And when Farah hears this story, she's really, really inspired to just keep trying, keep fighting, keep working with Azrael to train those wings. And she just like gets in the zone with this. I love this story of Nafel so much. And I thought it was really sweet that Azriel shared it with her. And I think he also shared the sentiment because think about like when you learn something new as an adult or when you're older, like me with skiing, it just doesn't happen. Like I didn't grow up skiing. It's way harder when you're older. That's what Azriel says about flying. Like he was not born in these Illyrian ranks, just like with the ability to fly Mm -hmm. from birth like Reese and Cassian were he was locked away in darkness in the shadows when he was younger and like so many horrible things happened to him and so he didn't learn to fly until he was a bit older too and he remembered being scared he remembered what it felt like so I love that he's able to share this experience with Farah I thought it was very sweet Okay, so it is the next day. Farrah and Nesta take a little trip to the library, which is under the House of Wind. It starts out really nice. They're not, you know, at each other's throats when all of a sudden they feel this shift in energy. So they're like going down deeper into the library. I think that they were looking for more information on the wall and the history. And all of a sudden they just feel like something is here something's wrong and so Farrah's like we got to get out like we are in the depths of this pit of a library let's go they run right into two males not just any males two high fae sent from highburn to come collect nesta you know maybe Farrah too why not highburn is trying to get nesta back because highburn knows she took something from the cauldron and they want it back he wants his power he's a power hungry king like any king is <laughs> so they blow fabian dust on farah and nesta to stifle their powers and they introduce themselves as the king's ravens cough cough two ravens are coming okay so maybe elaine isn't crazy after all so farah decides to lead the ravens into the pit of the library she has a plan for the most part and she's gonna try to get them out of here alive not the ravens her and nesta she's trying to get out alive All the while, the ravens are talking from behind them, telling them what happened to the queens. They found out that after Nesta and Elaine went into the cauldron, specifically Nesta, when the queens, the mortal queens went in, the first one that went in came out looking like a crone. So she was the youngest one, goes in, comes out looking old. And this was the one who like wanted to be beautiful and young and immortal forever. Let's also remember that Elaine said, Something about a young person going in and a withered person coming out. So Elaine's on to something here. So Farah sends Nessa to run. She says, go, get out of here, save yourself. I got this. 
Nessa does, and Fair keeps going, and she gets deeper into the dark pit of the library where she knows that monster lives thanks to Reese's story about Cassian flying down there and being so scared that he never wanted to go back. So Farah gets down deep into the pit. She senses this monster, and she starts talking to it. She's like, hey, you want to make a bargain? <laughs> I got some people here for you. Um, I would love for you to kill them, and what do you need from me? And the monster says, I just want some company, which is kind of sad. You get a feel for it. And so she's like, okay, sure, I'll bring you company. She doesn't say who. She just says company. And he says, okay, close your eyes. I'm going to get them. And he rips these ravens to shreds, like rips them apart. So Cassie and Reese end up at the library realizing something was wrong. They are a little bit late. Fair already solved the problem, but I know Reese goes and, you know, finishes off the ravens. He has to assert his high lord power. He's PO'd his mate. His high lady was about to get got by these two ravens. So he finishes them off and they all winnow out of the library. Again, the group is together and they're chatting about war strategy and the upcoming meeting. And Elaine comes in hot, comes in hot with some out of pocket nonsense saying the queen might come. Hey, girl, which queen? <laughs> Elaine says the queen with the feathers of flame. And Azrael's like, oh, I get it. Elaine is a seer, S-E-E-R, <laughs> seer, and that the cauldron made her a seer, meaning that Elaine can see things that other people can't. So we learn that the sixth queen, Vasa, is cursed, not sick like they said in the last queen meeting, and that the other queen sold her to some dark sorcerer lord who has an onyx box that is more vital than anything. Okay, this tracks with everything that Elaine was saying before. So this dark sorcerer lord keeps other girls like her, and by day, Vasa is one form, and by night, she's human again. So this is the bird of burning feathers. She's a firebird by day and a human by night. The group argues back and forth on if they should pursue this venture or not with everything else going on, right? We've seen they've got their hands pretty full right now. But Lucian offers that he will go and he will try to find Vasa because he said that his eye, his one eye, can see things that <laughs> can't, like spells and glamours. And I feel kind of bad for Lucian this moment. He's like, look, you guys, you have your inner circle. You won't really yeah. miss me. I'll fight with you. I stand with you if you need me. But I don't really have a, a home court right now. I'm happy to be the one to go off and do this. Yeah, he's like, I want a purpose. So Lucian heads off the next day. And then Amron drops an absolute bomb that Highburn attacked the summer court and the area surrounding Adriata. Reese and Cassian winnow into the war camps to give orders. Asriel went to scout out Adriata with his most trusted spies. Moore and Pharaoh winnow to Adriata, and it is ugly. And they're the only court that's there right now. So they go into the palace. We find that there's troops in the lower levels of the palace. They're making their way up, and there's about 50 of them. The killings have begun. And it's getting bloody. It's not great. Fair and more are tearing up the palace, though. Like, girl squad all the way. They've got each other's backs. We love it. 
Not going to get into all the details here because like I said, it's very gory. All the while during this fighting, Farrah's trying to find Reese down the barn and she's just like hitting nothing. It's a wall. Like she is not being, she's not able to find him and that's all, that's stressful for her. So at the end of the chapter, she finally finds Reese through the barn, but she sees through his eyes. Like he lets her in for a minute, closes up the barn. She is seeing through his own eyes and realizes that he's been tracking down the source of whatever's been dampening his power. As soon as they arrive to Adriata, he realized like, okay, something's wrong. My power doesn't feel the same. Something's dampening it. There's something awry here. And he realizes, lo and behold, that it is the king of Highburn. So now fear is trapped in Reese's mind, just watching all of this go down, which I can imagine is terrifying. The king makes it clear to Reese that he knows about Farrah's powers and that war is coming. Farrah's like, kill him, kill him, please kill him. <laughs> and so Reese lashes out to discover that the king is only a hologram. He got bamboozled. The king was never really there. It was all a facade. But that was stressful for everybody, probably more so for Farrah and Reese. They decide, okay, we're going to go back to the palace, try to find the others, but instead, we find Varian, the Prince of Adriata, which is scary because, like I said, there are blood rubies for their heads, for Reese, for Farah, for Amran. They go back to the palace. They meet up with Tarquin. He tries to blame Farah for this because she was at the spring court and deceived Tamlin, which in turn left the door wide open for Hybrin to come on through. So basically the spring court is just like up in shambles and Hybrin's like, perfect. Now's our chance. We're coming in. And reason fair, like, dude, it wasn't us. Okay. Hybrin chooses where and when to fight. And Tarquin's like, you need to leave time to go. So eventually they went back to Valeris, leaving Cassian Azrael behind to tend to their Illyrian legions. So ungrateful, Tarquin. Like, these people just showed up Rude. for you. How about a thank you? <laughs> thank you? I'm pretty sure he says, like, the blood rubies aren't, you know, don't count anymore. But he's still mad. He's big mad. They're he's invalid, got but get out. Whatever, Tarquin. Got your panties in a bundle. The group decides that they will hold a meeting amongst the courts to discuss war strategy. And they're going to hold this at the Dawn Court. It's kind of a neutral territory at this point. Nesta decides that she's going to join the group because no one else will fight for the humans. This is another moment for me that's a little surprising when Nesta's like, yeah, I'm good. Like, I'll go. No problem. Roll call for the meeting. We've got Callius, who is our High Lord of the Winter Court. We've got Helion, our High Lord of the Day Court. We've got Thessin, our High Lord of the Dawn Court. We've got Baron, our High Lord of the Autumn Court. We've got Tarquin, our High Lord of the Summer Court, and Tamlin, a High Lord of the Spring Court. Of course, we've got Reese, our High Lord of the Night Court. Now, when Tamlin walks in, he can tell right away that Farah and Reese are married by the tattoo, the ring, the crown. He's absolutely seething at this. So he was on a rampage, and he's just like shaming Farah left and right in front of everyone. And I will say I struggled with all of the Tamlin hate in the first two books, but this moment in Wings and it was Ruin, warranted. <laughs> it did it for me. Like I really, I, I did not like the way that he acted here. But this is also where we get our famous "Be careful how you speak of my high lady" scene, and 
the whole time when I had seen this quote before I actually got to reading the book, I thought that this quote was from Reese. And I love to find out that it was Asriel who said this quote. I really did. Basically, everyone is on edge and fighting. And Nesta decides now it's her time to shine. And she demands for every High Lord to help. So Farah hits us with some beast quote. And she's like, I'm going to use these powers, my powers. I'm going to smash Hybern into bits. I'm going to burn them. I'm going to drown them. I'm going to freeze them. I'm going to heal the injured. I'm going to shatter Hybern's wards. I've done so already. I'm going to do it again. And if you think that my possession of a kernel of your magic is your biggest problem, then your priorities are severely out of order. Slay Kaweed. And she never even asked for these powers. They were given. Thank you very much. And so after this, everyone, including I think Tablin, basically stands up, round of applause, mic drop, and they're like, okay, yeah, we'll fight with you. Thank you for that speech. So all of the High Lords, except Baran, agree to stay overnight and to continue these discussions. Helian tells a story about Lucian's mother. And at one point, Pharaoh looks over to Reese and he's like, whatever you just figured out, keep it to yourself. Pharaoh notices that Lucian and Helian look a lot alike. So something's up here. We're not sure what yet. Pharaoh. Ever the observant lady is suspicious. All of a sudden, they're chit-chatting, and Nesta, just like all of Farrah's sisters apparently, just like to blurt things out, Nesta comes in out of nowhere and yells, we need to leave now. And Farrah's like, why? What's wrong? Like, why is no one else picking up on this? Farrah's like, don't worry. Like, recent Cassian would sense it. And Cassian, like, bursts in, realizes something's up. Like, Nesta's not okay. And he believes her. So he goes out and he tries to see, like, what's going on. And he comes back and he's like, everything's fine. Everything is fine. But the next day, they have another meeting because these people love their meetings during war times. <laughs> this book is basically the book of meetings. Um, so they love their meetings. And out of nowhere, Nesta flies out of her chair. She starts like vomiting, I want to say. Like something is happening to her physically. And everyone is like, what is wrong? Like she's sweating. And all she can get out is something before she turns to vomit on the floor. She turns some more and says, something is wrong. Not with me, but the cauldron. The whole room suddenly feels it. The earth shudders. And Reese says in like the most ominous way, the king of Hybern just used the cauldron to attack the wall. The wall is gone, shattered across Perithian and the continent. This is a big deal, like a literal earth shattering moment for Perithian and the mortal lands. So Reese tells Nesta that they can go to her estate tonight. They can evacuate her household and bring them all back to Prithian. So Elaine suggests moving them to Grayson's estate, her fiance. And she suggests to Reese that they can glamour Elaine so that she looks like a human. And hopefully this will get Grayson to open his gates to those seeking sanctuary and maybe even set wards around the estate 
which works for the most part when they arrive to Grayson's estate and they finally get past the guards they not only find Grayson and his father but Jurian is back and apparently he has been pretending to be working with Highburn. silly silly boy <laughs> Jurian Jurian reveals that Tamlin ran back to Highburn after their meeting told them everything this is so gross and such new boy Tamlin behavior I have a new nickname for him Tattletale Tamlin Tattletale Tamlin no one likes a tattletale and I feel like he does a lot of that in this book and I just it's not a good look well Grayson tells Elaine that he doesn't want her anymore because she's now bound to some mate aka Lucian and Elaine's like (laughs) I don't even want Lucian, but okay, thanks. <laughs> and Jurian basically says to Grayson, if you don't offer human safety here at your estate, I'll tell Hybern to come here first, baby. So this works. I love Grayson's that. Like, Grayson's like, okay, thanks. Not many options here. Sounds good. <laughs> so back in Valeris, Amran and Farah go to the pit of the library to see what wards are holding that monster in. We also learn the monster's name is Briaxis, and they want to see, you know, is there a way we can get it out if we need to use it for the war? They're really like pulling all the stops. Bone Carver, Briaxis, like they'll take anyone who wants to fight for them. Farah asks if Briaxis will fight for her and her high lord if she frees him. Briaxis is like, no, I don't want you to free me. I just want a window high above so I can see the sky. Again, like my heart goes out to you, Briaxis. Briaxis also asks if he can hunt without restraint on the battlefield. And Farah's like, yes, but please only kill hybrid soldiers. Thank you so much. And then Amran agrees that if the time comes, she will disable these wards when we need the Briaxis. And Briaxis is like, perfect. It's a deal, babes. I'll be there. <laughs> Give me that window and I'll do whatever you want. One, two, three, four. This is how you start a war. <laughs> The crew gets hey. ready for action and is now at the Illyrian war camp. Hybrid's forces are right where Jurian says they would be. But don't worry, the Illyrian lines are kicking butt. Everyone is brawling out. Hybrid tries to flee, but on one side, they have the Illyrian army and Kyr's Darkbringers. And on the other side, they have Tarquin's army, or what's left of it after the summer court fight. Azrael comes to let us know that Hybern sent a force up through autumn and summer court to head for the winter court border. What is going on? So it sounds like Hybern's up to something besides the battlefield right now. Like there's something else going on that we're not sure about. Being too far away, Azrael sent warning to Callius. They couldn't afford to split the troops and be in two places at once. Varian says that basically they can do both. They can head north but also stay. They can spin a glamour so that anyone who walks by here will see, hear, and smell an army. But actually, they're going to march north under a sight shield. This is tricky. I love this. That's exactly what they do. And then they find the Highburn army along the Summer Court's eastern border. Battle number two. Once again, they're fighting. They're doing their best out there. But Highburn's army has them outnumbered everyone is dying and fair is like okay i know what i need to do i need to go get intel on the location of highburn's full force clearly this isn't all of it we're missing something we need some answers where you at cereal we're coming for you yay 
So in order for Farah to be able to sneak away, she has to do more a little dirty here. So she tells Moore, go ahead, go join everyone on the front lines. And Moore's a little reluctant to leave, but Farah's kind of consoling her. It's fine. I'll be here. I'll be safe. But we know she's really just going to catch the cereal. But she needs her seer sister, Elaine, to help her to find the cereal. So Elaine tells us that the cereal is headed to a forest in the middle a few miles from the weaver. Missed you, weaver. All of our favorite people are coming back. <laughs> coming back. Time. Coming in hot. <laughs> so Farah is able to winnow there. And she's in the woods when the cereal finds Farah. But the cereal can't see where Hyburn is hiding his army because Hyburn is using his magic to cloak it a.k.a. the cauldron. Now, the cereal tells Farah she couldn't stop the cauldron, but that Nesta is able to track the cauldron because, like, calls to like. We've heard this many times throughout the book. And Farah tells the cereal that the Ouroboros that she got from Kier, and the cereal gasps. Ferris wants to know if the mirror is going to break her, and the cereal replies, Farah, only you determine that. So the serial says to tell Amran that the answer lies on the second and next to last pages of the Book of Breathings, and together they hold the key to stopping Highburn. Now, in the middle of saying that, an ash arrow goes through the serial, and it's freaking Ianthe with two Highburn soldiers. The Surreal tells Farah to run. Farah does run herself into the Weaver's cottage, but don't worry, she has a plan. The weaver's like, hey, thief, I know you've seen my twin. I smell him, the bone carver. The bone carver is the weaver's twin. And the weaver's like, wait, what are you? And what did you bring me, little wolf? And Farrah's like, oh, I brought you some dinner. Ianthe and the two guards enter the house. They're not able to see Farrah in the shadows. I'll spare the details here. The weaver goes in on Ianthe and the two guards <laughs> and they do not make it out alive. They are dead, all three of them. And so mission accomplished there. We've got the immediate threat out of the way, but hey, we've also still got the serial outside who was hit with the ash arrow and who is dying. So Fair goes back outside to try to help and the serial tells her, don't waste your magic. Death is close. What can Farrah do? She's feeling so helpless. And the the serial says to just stay with her till the end, which she does. And this moment, I, there were a Rip lot my of heart sin. out. Rip it. Rip, it's yours. Rip it. You can have it. Take it with you, serial. It's yours now. The serial might be honestly one of my favorite characters in this book. Same. It says that it knew that it was being tracked, that Ianthe and the two soldiers were tracking. And Farrah's like, well, why did you come? Like, why would you put yourself in that situation? And it says that Farrah fought her fear and she was kind to the serial. And it just keeps telling her that she should go and that worse things are coming. And with that, the serial dies. Again, rip our hearts out. I hate absolutely hated this so helion finds farah there he reiterates what the serial said it's not safe for her to go there and to come with him and with that helion winnows farah back to the camp okay we're back at the camp our hearts are sad we're grieving the serial and oh yeah cassian's hurt as well but never fear because the healer is with him and we win the battle so that's good news Reese is not mad at that Farah left, but he is sad that she didn't tell them. 
just like leave a note for me, babe. Just let me know. Like BRB, going to catch the cereal, keep fighting that good fight. But more, not so much. She is mad. Fair broke the girl code. Fair broke every code, the friend code, the honesty code. And she is just so angry that Farrah didn't feel like she could trust them. Even if Moore didn't want her to go, she would have supported her. And she just wants to know where her high lady is so she knows how to help if she needs to. I love that. Like she, this is so the opposite of her experience in the spring court where it was like micromanaging. We need to know what you're doing, when you're doing it so we can control it. In this case, everyone's like, no, we just want to like know where you are so we can help you if we need to. And like you can do what you need to do. Just like keep us posted. Okay. So they get in this really like passive aggressive fight. Everyone's hurt. Feelings are hurt. But okay, we got other business to attend to, ladies. Off to the cauldron. We need to find it. We need to figure out where it is. Time for the stones and the bones, aka three stones and four bones that apparently Nesta can help us find the cauldron with. So Nesta holds them in her hands and casts her mind to the cauldron. Nesta's face, like in this moment, where she's calling out to the cauldron and trying to feel its power, it changes. And obviously she's seeing something. And so Farrah's like, okay, I'm just going to like slip in her mind real quick, make sure everything's okay. And she realizes, whoa, uh, the army is going on for days. So the army is stretched into the horizon. The sheer size of it, I think, shocks both Nesta and Farrah. And she sees the king standing over the map in a war tent flanked by Jurian and some commanders and she sees the cauldron squatting in the center of the room but it seems like it's alive like it has it has an awareness to it and it knows that they are there and it is not like it is trying to like come for them it almost I think fair describes it as like it lurches towards them and fair is like Nessa let go of the bones let go of the bones like we got to go back and so finally she does Let's go of the bones. They get back to, you know, reality, back to where they are. She throws the bones and stones down on the map and it creates a perfect magic circle. And that's where Hybern is. But this is also really revealing because they quickly realize that while Hybern has been driving them northward, the king has amassed this host of his army along the western edge of the human territory right near the Archeron estate. Oh, that was a lot. Okay, that's a lot to take in. So our crew decides, you know what? Let's get some rest. It's been a long day. We were just battling it out. Let's figure out a plan tomorrow. Well, to be clear here, some are resting, most are resting, but Farah is not. She keeps having nightmares as she does. She feels the cauldron trying to reach out an arm towards her and it feels real to her. So she jolts Reese awake and she's like, something is wrong. She tells him about the nightmare and she thinks that they might have opened a door to the cauldron. So Farah goes to find Nesta who apparently hears it too. And so does Amrin, and they wonder if Elaine is able to hear it too. So they're kind of sitting there having this conversation. They're like, oh my gosh, holy smokes, we completely forgot about Elaine. They go to check her tent, and her tent is empty, so that's not good. They're looking for her, and they end up finding her cloak at the edge of the forest. 
So with this, Farah decides to shapeshift as Ianthe, and she's off with Asriel to try and find Elaine at Hybern's camp. Jurian finds Ianthe, aka Farah, and he says that the king has been looking for her. However, Jurian quickly realizes that this is Farah in disguise, and so Jurian instructs her to just say that she wants to pray at the cauldron before bed. He tells her she has five minutes to get Elaine out. So Jurian's kind of playing good guy here. Now their plan is working. Asriel begins untying Elaine while Ianthe, aka Farah, is saying her little prayer. They are able to get Elaine and they start making a run for it. And Asriel is able to make them invisible in the shadows. So Farah orders Asriel to just get Elaine out. But then Farah's hit in the shoulder with an ash arrow. Okay, and now hounds are chasing her and one of them is Tamlin, but he tells her to run. It seems like Tamlin's trying to keep Farah alive. He's not out to get her. So Asriel tells Farah that she needs to try and fly and poor Farah, she can barely do it. But of course, she successfully is able to. She makes it outside Hybern's camp and they're able to winnow back. They're hurt, but they are going to survive. And thank goodness they have Elaine. So they make it back to their camp and Moore and Farah apologize for the hurtful comments that they said. Now, Farah is ready to call in Briaxis, but now Hybern's camp has moved, which has intentionally tired all of them out. So a little bit of a strategic play by Hybern. They realize that he is going to march on the human lands to kill them in spite of the Archerons because Farah killed his priestess and his niece and nephew, Nesta took from his cauldron, and stealing a back was kind of like the last straw, the final insult. So they have got to make some serious plans on how to defend the humans before Hybern gets there. So Amron's like, hope y'all are good with battling Hybern solo because that's going to be our distraction. Amron, Farah, Elena, Nesta need to get to the cauldron so that they can stop his entire army. Basically, instead of nullifying the cauldron, they're nullifying the person controlling it and his entire host. That's going to be their tactic. So they give in to Hybern's trap intentionally. They take up these disadvantageous positions. They arrive exhausted, so on and so forth. But hold on. Farah's just got to take a quick pit stop to check out the Ouroboros. When Farah gets to the mirror, she feels she's in this enclosed room of sorts and she feels like she's not alone that there is a creature there that's guarding the mirror but when pharaoh goes to attack it it's gone now the creature is in the mirror and oh wait it's actually pharaoh's reflection so it's this creepy scary looking beast form of pharaoh and She's able to survive getting the mirror by looking at all the worst parts of herself and accepting them. So this creature, this reflection in the mirror is supposed to symbolize the worst parts of herself. We assume Farrah's fine because now she's back. She's visiting the bone carver. She's got the mirror and the bone carver's like, thanks for bringing me this, but I actually don't even need it. I'll gladly help you. I just wanted to see if you were worth my while because not many people can look at who they truly are and not run from it. Just another trial for our gal that she passed. So back to the battle, Hybern has damaged most of Springcourt down to the mortal lands. There's not much left but smoke and stone and then 
boom, down comes Hybern's shield, revealing the glamour that Farah had been hiding for hours. So out comes the bone carver, Briaxis, and the weaver. Yay! Now, the war is warring at this point. We have the autumn court, spring court show up, and surprisingly Grayson's here. I was not expecting this. Leading the human army is Jurian and they think that they're winning, but now another armada is coming in of Hybern soldiers on the other side of them. And now they realize they are trapped on both sides. But in comes Draken's Legion, who's going to fight with them. Okay, hold on. How is Draken here? So long story short, they had a glamour to keep their island shielded, which worked so well that it actually looked like ruin when Reese's court tried to find them. But that's where they were. They were there. It just looked like this abandoned island. So they're like, hold on. How did you get here? Like, what's the deal? And then in this moment, here comes Vasa, Lucian arrived. Now we have our band of exiles all here. Who else? Papa Artron shows up. We have the Prince of Merchants. He told Draken that he had three daughters who he failed for many, many years and that he would not fail them this time. This absolutely slayed me, crushed me, tears and all. I, I'm not sure what compelled Papa Archeron to have a turnaround moment, but I love that he ends up not being a bad character for the entire series. So now Vasa's out here. She's kicking ass, taking names. She's burning stuff left and right. Nesta is using herself as bait to get King Highburn away from the cauldron. The Weaver's distracting the guards by killing them. Doesn't really end well. The Weaver's neck ends up getting snapped. The Weaver is dead. But Amran and Farah make it to the cauldron. That was the point of this whole thing was you guys have to fight. It's going to serve as a distraction. Just stay alive. We need to get to the cauldron. So they're there. But as they're there, Amran doesn't read from the book. She shoves it behind her with a kick. And at this point, we're like, is Amran evil? Like, was this whole thing a setup? So Amran lied to Farah and she set her in a trap. And yeah, I, I really thought she was about to become the villain here. But now what Amran needed, she needed Farah to become a conduit from the cauldron, which was taking over Farah. It was searching for Nesta. And as Farah's fading, she sees Reese and Helion transform. Reese is growing talons. He's growing scales, feathers. His face is a thing of nightmares. And with this, Hybern's army started fleeing. Now, their father, Papa Archeron, he did come here to save them, but unfortunately now he's got a sword to his throat by Highburn, and unfortunately the king does end up also snapping Papa Archeron's neck. We've got Cassian on the ground, his wings are snapped, there's blood leaking, and when the king approaches him, Nesta is fuming. She tells the king she's going to kill him, she's in this primal-like state, but the king is kind of taunting Cassian, which makes Nesta explode. Load. And with that explosion, she takes hundreds of troops out with her. Cassian tells Nesta to just go. And she she says, like, I can't. Like, she's kind of, she's, she's staying there. And Cassian says he has no regrets in this lifetime except for not having more time with Nesta. I love this moment. He, he leans up. He kisses her. Nesta 
she kind of covers Cassian with her body like a shield of sorts and all of a sudden a black blade is across the king's throat Elaine stabbed him another shocking moment here I have to say I didn't think that Elaine had it in her but she did now the king's head falls off fine Highburn's dead so again we're back to Amran and Farah at the cauldron when Amran tells Farah that she needs her help to unleash her from her mortal body and to let her end this battle which reluctantly she does Amran then transforms into her real form, which is described with great burning wings and a crown of light floating above her flaming hair. Amran wipes out all of Hybern's forces and her power is spent. She withers away. Now, Cauldron's trying to break apart, which is not good, being that this whole realm, this whole earth that they're living on is made from it. And in turn, they would probably disappear without it. So Reese uses every last drop of his power to put the pieces of the cauldron back together and it works, but okay, great. Now we have the mating bond is gone and Reese is dead. Now Farah begs the high lords to save him the same way that they resurrected her under the mountain. And I don't even think there was a lot of reluctancy here. Tamlin shows up and Farah says she will give him anything. She is begging him. And Tamlin steps up and he gives the last kernel of light and he says, be happy, Farah. It's, it's giving redemption arc. And I, I really, really love that. So Reese is now revived. The first thing that he says when he is conscious again is like, oh, go get Amran. Like I brought her back with me. <laughs> so that's incredible. We didn't have to lose two people from our inner circle. Amran comes back. She pukes her guts out, but now she has solid eyes. I don't know exactly what this means but anyway now the sisters have a burial ceremony for their father Lucian's back and the first thing that he asks is if Elaine is all right so they catch up briefly Farah's like okay Lucian like where are you off to next what are your next steps right you've been kind of between these two courts for a while now you're kind of playing middle of the road what do you want to do next Lucian doesn't really know. Elaine invites him to come to Valeris, which I think is great progress. To be determined, we'll see what Lucian actually ends up doing. Now we meet Draken and Miriam as everyone is recuperating in the war camp. And with that, Farah asked Miriam and Draken if she can leave the cauldron on their island with the glamours to keep it safe, right? We remember that their island was shielded so well that even Reese couldn't detect that they were on the island. So what a perfect spot for the cauldron. Now the crew's back in Valeris, they're eating, they're joking around, and this book ends with Farah and Reese making a bargain that when it's time for them to leave, they leave together, aka die together, aka kind of Romeo and Juliet style. What a way to end a book. We're just going to quickly pivot into Frost and Starlight because it's pretty sure it's a novella. There's not too much that happens here, but it's definitely an important bridge to get us from Wings and Ruin into Silver Flames. So Frost and Starlight starts out exactly as the title implies. It's wintertime in Valeris. It's snowing. We have the winter solstice coming up in a week, which is also Farrah's birthday. A few character status updates. So we have Elaine, who's still living with Farrah and Reese. 
we have Nesta living in her own home across the city. Nesta hasn't really spoken to anyone. We have Lucian, who did decide to come to Valeris. He's living in an apartment. We have Jurian and Vasa, who are in the human lands, living with Grayson. Briaxis is still MIA. Reese is currently at Devlin's camp, which is Windhaven. He's there with Cassian. So Reese is trying to challenge the traditions at Windhaven a little bit. The traditions being that males either train or do trade work, females cook, clean, and do laundry. So Cassian, Reese, and Devlin agree that females can train for a, an hour and a half daily. This is definitely to Devlin's dismay. He's not really for this. Being at Windhaven, we get a tidbit on Cassian when he goes to Ramiel, a sacred mountain where a blood rite is held annually. But otherwise, the mountain is off limits to anyone except for the Illyrians. So the blood rite takes place over seven days and is where novice warriors compete to prove their readiness. So backing up from Windhaven, we're back in Valeris. Everyone's shopping for gifts for the solstice. Farah discovers a shop for sale in the rainbow thanks to another local shop owner named Racina, who is also an artist using the studio space. Racina is trying to hang out and paint with Farah, but Farah is kind of... In her secluded era, she's painting alone in an empty studio space for a while. Um, and after a few solo visits, Farah was actually gifted the space from the family who owned it because they saw all the potential that she had and how much she loved the space. So they gifted it to her. And Farah's very inspired by this. She starts to think that maybe she could help others by teaching them how to paint. Racina eventually joins her in this venture and they become business partners and they offer free classes and supplies to anyone and everyone who wants to join. So of course we have to we have to have something brewing here. <laughs> so Mora tells Farah that the two of them plus Reese are going to Hewn City that night, but Mora knows that Eris is going to be there and she's curious what her father and Eris could possibly be up to together. It seems like Eris's father wants to expand his territory into the human lands. So I feel like we just get rid of Highburn and now we have freaking Baron in the conversation. Just stir in the pot. Farah goes to visit Nesta, who's going through it. Nesta is drinking in a seedy, miserable tavern called the Wolf's Den. And Nesta is standing firm that she does not want to be a part of this little group, aka the inner circle. And... All Nesta is really looking for from Farah is money for her rent, which is due. So Farah's like, okay, um, you can come to Solstice. And if you come, I'll give you the money for your rent. So on that day, which is also Farah's birthday, Reese and Farah exchange their gifts. And then Reese, Cassian, and Asriel leave for the cabin in their leathers for their annual snowball fight. Literally, I... I still love this tradition. Lucian arrives in Valeris because, again, he's been between Valeris, the spring court, and staying with Jurian and Vasa. And they're all opening gifts when, bum, 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 Nesta does end up arriving. She basically has one glass of wine, she gets her rent check, and then she leaves. And Cassian does not like this. He goes and he follows her out. He offers to walk her home, but he has a present in his hand. And Cassian is, he's just like not 
impressed with this act from Nesta. So he urges her to go to another court if she hates it so much here. Like, bring your misery elsewhere. And Nesta's kind of like, okay, maybe I will, yada yada. Like, obviously she has nowhere to go. So Nesta ends up walking away. She wants nothing to do with Cassian, but Cassian lets her and he dumps the gift that he got her into the Sidra. Now, let's just remember, they had a very intense moment at the end of Aquawar. So to go from that really intense moment to this is very surprising. But back at the cabin, Reese and Farah decide that they want to try to get pregnant and Reese gifts Farah with an estate that she can build however she wants to. So that's how Frost and Starlight ends off. It leaves us with a great tee up for Silver Flames. We are going to cover A Court of Silver Flames next. For those of you who took the time out of your days to listen to us, we love you. We are so thankful and happy that you're here. If you like what we have to say and want to hear more, please leave us a review. Hit the follow button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Batty Girls Book Club so that you never miss an episode. And with that, stay batty. Stay batty.